0: you. Mm-hmm. I,
1: did, I didn't want to tell you about that beforehand because that's the funnest part, seeing people's reaction to, now recording.
2: Yeah, no, fuck that shit. Now,
1: the best thing about this, we don't got to do none of that fucking syncing up shit. We don't have to do the clap. I don't have to fucking get all your goddamn files.
2: One, two,
0: three. Oh, jeez. We did <laughs> it.
1: it. Was that a fucking... I thought that was a gun. <laughs>
0: that was my hands was. against my thighs.
1: Alright. So we haven't done this in a while. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're probably we, we still have like a ton of uh manuf- like pretty much all of manufacturing consent is laying on the editing room floor. We're probably just gonna re-record that. Yeah, but until then, the
2: better. Like I probably want to reread it too, for be honest. But yeah, the the next one, the
1: first the first episode was all was the best one of that one. The last ones were not that great, just because
0: we didn't have a lot also of just consoles. having
2: been in a really weird fucking place for that one. I don't want that on the.
0: Well let's let's also be completely real. Um you don't need anything past like the first chapter of manufacturing consent because
1: Well we can get into the I kind of want to I kind of want to do we the can the do what I want what I think we're going to do is just do another part where it's just rest of the book and go over some of the examples because I think that's relevant because the rest of the book is mostly examples. The theory's all in the beginning. If we want to make this a theory podcast, the theory's all in the beginning.
0: Anyways, uh, I have that I have a be. physical copy in front of me of this book and it is gorgeous.
2: What book are we listening to? I literally to? just gave that uh, one of those to my mom for Christmas. It, it was a late exchange, but still. this. Book what
1: book are we referring to? What is the name of this book for the, for the listeners so we don't have to fucking be like, this book, oh yeah, this book. Well, hold on,
0: hold on, let's, 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 say, let's take a step back and just, you know, let's have a moment for, of silence for the author, Mr. David Graver, one of the greatest... Anthropological ar- anarchists that have existed so far. So let's just let's just have a moment of silence. All right, and we're back.
1: Okay, so that was the die?
0: Yeah, no. So David
1: Graeber, Graeber died in twenty yeah, twenty. No,
0: he he literally died as he was finishing this book.
1: Yeah, well, that's why in the, in the beginning there's a preface to it with um, who's the other guy that wrote it?
0: David Rengro. Oh
1: wow, two Daves. But um, yeah, he has a Ford in it. Um, David Graeber, if you don't know, he also wrote Debt: The First Five Thousand Years, another great book that I've been reading through. Um, this also, book kind of yeah. dovetails into that. But well, uh, he yeah. also
0: he also wrote the more famous uh, Bullshit Jobs.
1: Bullshit both, Jobs is the
0: big one, yeah. Both the article and the book.
1: He is a very very good um, writer. Very very easy and accessible. And uh, know, like this
0: book, like this book, I was, I, I listened to it at work and I understood every single thing. Like, I didn't have to stop and be like, okay, wait, wait, what, what, what was he saying? It, yeah, was exactly, you know, it even, is even,
2: really accessible that way.
1: Yeah. Compared to like other theory, especially like someone like Kropotkin or how Marx is a reading, read, this to Das Capital is like a walk in the park.
2: Anyways.
0: So the book we're reading, if you haven't gotten it from the title of the podcast, or at least the title of the episode is The Dawn of Everything, A New History of Humanity. This book literally came out, like, what was it, like, three months ago, if that?
1: Yeah, it's pretty new.
0: Like, I literally, like, I had been waiting for this book for so fucking long, it's not even funny.
1: They've been writing it for, like, ten years.
0: Yeah. Well, it's been, it's been talked about for almost that entire, like, at least five of them. Because I remember hearing references to it... In other podcasts and in, in other books about you know there's this there's this new theory about how oh well maybe it wasn't you know entirely um straight from hunter-gatherer to agriculture to city-state maybe like it was it was a huge theory that was being thrown around
2: i actually like to throw out a prediction here because i'm most of the way through the book but it does seem as though they're pointing in a direction of authoritarianism being a stepping stone along the way to self-conscious egalitarianism.
1: Mm, I don't I, well, I haven't read all the way through the book. I mean, let's just focus on chapter one for now. We can go get there when we get there. But um so basically chapter one, it kind of begins uh, basically outlining, Sort of the failures in a lot of modern social theory. I mean, one of the, the book starts out by saying one of the biggest like tragedies of history is that most of human history is not recorded. We don't know what happened, and, yeah,
0: and he actually does a, he Actually, does a really decent job of basically laying out. You know, we don't know what these people are going to what these people would think. We don't know what they would say, but we're going to use the evidence that we have on hand to actually rebuild a narrative as to what. The world was before the advent of
2: writing, so to speak, and kind of he goes,
1: to, yeah, as opposed to not doing that, like, uh, well, as um, opposed
2: to taking your biases and looking for evidence to confirm them.
1: Yeah, so basically, what we're saying is, um, in this chapter, he kind of goes into a couple of things. Um, I don't know if you guys are too familiar. I'm familiar with some of the theories he's talking about. The sort of, um, basically, he, he he discusses the two orthodox theories, which is going to be. From the Enlightenment, which is the Rousseaus and uh, Hobbes's ideas of how human humanitarian, humanity came about and how civilization came about,
0: and it's basically it's basically these two disparaging theories. One states that before the advent of the city state, the all of human all of humanity was in the state of constant chaos and you know war and violence, and it was it was the city state, the Leviathan, at least for Hobbes that came through and was like, hey, w- this is what's making the world work.
1: It is the idea that without order, there will be chaos. It is the, the arch-conservative idea that we must maintain the social structures, otherwise we fall into chaos. That is sort of the Hobbes definition. Hobbes, it's it's a very dark one, but it's one that a lot of people subscribe to, especially if you notice, like, conservatives, Nazis love fucking Hobbes. Um, well, it's actually... That- it's,
0: it's actually um- been beat out it's actually been it's actually beaten out Rousseau in modern social theory because if you actually look around a lot of people are like well we can't get rid of the government because then we'll have total chaos total anarchy
1: good. It, yeah that's sort of like capitalist realism if we want to go um another good book by uh I almost I almost said by Bobby Fisher but he's the racist chess man uh I'm yeah saying, no Mark um, Fisher Mark
0: Fisher the-, the man who wrote the, <laughs> the man who wrote this book and then suicide himself.
1: Yeah uh that's sad. But um, yeah. Basically, the the whole point is like like sort of like the, the neoliberal project, and that is very Hobbesian. It says we have to have some of these things, like you know, the security state. We have to have all these things, otherwise, it would be chaos. And so that's sort of how it justifies itself. That's why we see more of a Hobbesian view, at least by like neocons and uh, neoliberals. Um, and then we
0: and then we have the other end of the spectrum, which is the Rousseau. And Rousseau basically states, you know, everything before the city-state was egalitarian and perfect, and, you know, it was the city-state that brought it up, and... Then the
1: Fire Nation attacked.
0: Yeah, pretty much. But he even mentions this, he even says in the first chapter, he's like, yeah, that's not even actually how it was either. Because if you're putting this prehistory on a pedestal as to one or the other, you're actually losing out a lot of what actually happened.
2: There's a surprising amount of stuff that can happen in these years. Yeah. A lot of them.
0: And one of the things that he actually brings up is this call is this idea of a band of social experiments because the, he basically puts forth in the first chapter, the entire prehistory era was a bunch of humans getting together and being like, hey, let's try this kind of thing. 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 And then ultimately either giving it up or settling on it and staying there for like 100 years, 200 years, and then ultimately moving on.
1: Yeah, that's the sort of thing. So basically one of the biggest problems that Rousseau falls into is this idea of the noble savage. Um it's sort of like a very paternalistic idea that, like, you know, oh, everyone just kind of got along and did all this stuff. It, it doesn't take into account that, you know, the, these people before us were, in fact, people. And they did a lot of different things, some of which, you know, was you know, bloody conquering and doing all that stuff, but some of which was uh, more uh, constructive. And it just really depended on the material conditions. This is sort of like, we're we're basically taking um, a look at... This also kind of contradicts a lot of uh, Marxian history, but it does. Um, it does sort of go into as far as modern historical analysis. It kind of follows what Foucault uh, talks about, sort of looking to at history a bit through. Of agency
2: di- out of the question, though. What was that? I and mean, if we assume people did things just based off of environmental factors, and we you know n- ignore the fact that these are you know conscious people that uh, you know. Well, I didn't do anything because of
1: to? just just environmental factors. When we say material conditions, it means, uh, you know, this can mean anything from even stuff like religious conditions, or uh, you know, all other kinds of things. I guess religious conditions wouldn't necessarily be material, but I can. Well, there's there's actually quasi material.
0: There's, there's actually an entire other hour that we could sit down and talk about what it means to have material conditions. But the main point that we're trying to make is that what. What he is trying to do in this book is to kind of get rid of either the noble savage or the, the 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 other alternative, which is the the savage savage, um, and one of the per- people that he actually talks about it was it comes by the name of Kandoronk. I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure I pronounced that wrong, but um, he mentions Kanderonk as this person that actually was there as part of the egalitarian band so to speak that existed in north north america and went to europe which actually happened a lot more and he'll actually bring this up later on in the in the chapters as you know this is the kind of person that when we think about the noble savage this is the kind of person that everybody was pointing towards because he had written books about oh well this is this is my travels through the north american tribes um, this is my thoughts, and how I'm going to critique the european uh the European social experiment, so to speak
1: mm-hmm.
0: and one of the big things is that he also is trying to point out that through Kandaung and he does this later on through Kandaung, you can't just sit there and say, yeah, they all they were all egalitarian because and this is another point that he brings up later on, there was actual slaves in the north north american and i'm not saying like oh my god you know people own slaves in the same way that we kind of had the knee-jerk reaction nowadays it was an entirely different conception of slavery it
1: wasn't it wasn't chattel slavery and i think that's an important thing to note a lot of times like when we talk about these sort of things we're trying to necessarily humanize these people like you know they're they're, they're not um just these noble savages all living peacefully together and they're not uh, absolutely warlike monsters. They were people. They had complex social structures, mm-hmm. and they were all different from each other. I mean, even just the idea that all Native Americans were a sort of monolith, this idea we have today, that it was all just like a monolith. It was like, no, they had wars, and they had different er- 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 places of government. Um, they had different alliances, you know. Some of them, uh, I mean, a lot of them You use- actually ended up using uh, europeans to get what they wanted so for instance Mm -hmm. they had a tribe they didn't like they'd ally with the europeans and then uh they get a little bit of land afterwards like that's the sort Mm -hmm. of thing that would happen because these are you know people with their own governments and their own
2: needs and uh tribes yeah
1: yeah i mean well they were they were they depending on how how you say it i mean i guess i get why that word can be problematic but Tribes is probably the best way they, they self-describe themselves, sort of as, as tribes. But they did have like more. It wasn't just like a shamanistic. You know, you have a leader of the tribe and that's it. I mean, if you look at um,
2: yeah, the city-states. some of them in their own, right. it
1: depends. It depends. And, well, and also some of, they, some of them were. Um, you have a couple of them. Like if you're looking at the Iroquois Confederacy, they had a very complex system of government. That included like a lot of different lodges and, and things of that nature.
0: And in some and in some cases, they actually had a um maternal system where women were yeah. the head of the household, but it was the men that just happened to take over when in times of war. Um and one of the things that really stuck out to me when I was reading this first chapter was how adamant he is about we're trying to form a discussion with these people of the old. We're not trying to hold these people out as paragons. We're not trying to claim that you know these people were perfect we're not trying to claim that they weren't the the worst people in the world and we well we're looking back on them about how we are using stages of development as a conservative holdout because it yeah. it's we are looking at the history and the only reason that this book is very why the three of us and ultimately Zulikath, when he joins us, why we think this book is strictly anarchist is not because of the writer because it reimagines what we thought history was and i think that is one of the key components about moving forward in social experimentation
2: hmm yeah, think, yeah. Went into a lot of this um not realizing as much about the writer himself or themselves because there's multiple writers um and just the ideas really did fucking speak for themselves, though, didn't they?
0: Yep, definitely.
1: And um, I think um, sort of the other thing he goes into... Uh, I did want to kind of commend him on this. I think I texted uh you guys when, when I saw this in the book, when he starts shitting all over um,
0: Steven Pinker. What was oh, that? Oh, yeah, Steven Pinker.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, so Steven Pinker, if you don't know... He was the only guy to be annoying enough to get kicked off of Jeffrey Epstein's island. That's true. That happened. It's very funny. Um, <laughs> whoa! Yeah, li- literally, liter- literally, he went to like Jeffrey off Epstein's of island. That island. island. Yeah, yeah, that island. And uh, Jeffrey Epstein didn't invite him back because he was too annoying. <laughs> so this is the kind of caliber of person, like the the person that like Jeffrey Epstein, like p- that sort of yeah. This is a oh, person we're talking about. But, I also think um, it's
0: funny that he actually did use a little bit of uh he actually used a little bit of his int- uh, his introduction to kind of dunk on Fukuyama and the end of history idea. Oh
1: yeah, yeah. Fuki- we can get to dunking on Fukuyama. Dunking on Steven Pinker and Fukuyama are like two of my favorite pastimes. But um Pink- okay. Pinker is is sort of like uh Pinker, if you don't know, uh he wrote Better Angels of Our Nature. And it's this idea that it's basically a this idea that humanity is slowly progressing and if we get 1% better every single year that's net a good thing. Uh what he mean and of course Graber goes into this and rips into this and says well what do you mean by better? What is 1%? How can you qualify any of this? It doesn't mean anything, which is 100% correct and what everyone's been saying about that book. And sort of this sort of pseudo idea of uh the it's almost like a prosperity gospel, in a sense, uh, for neoliberalism, right? Mm-hmm. It's this idea that it's idea if we, Yeah, it's this idea if, if we just simply improve things a little bit every year, then we can just do whatever. There's no idea of uh, any big projects. Those are all gone. Those are all uh, too outlandish. They're too we have to be realistic. And uh, of course, who gets to define what realistic is? Capital? That's that's the answer. If you, if you want to go back to it, like that's like Pinker's answer, is that we have to bow to the whims of capital in order to get any sort of social progress, which is a bad idea.
0: I do also want to kind of mention how this book is laid out. Um, it, there are chapters, um, but there are also subsections. And to kind of give an ex- example of what these subsections are, he basically like breaks up each chapter into little blurbs about what he's talking about. In fact... He talks about, <clears> one <throat> of the subsections is titled, Some Brief Examples of, of Why Received Understanding of the Broad hum- Sweep of Human History are Mostly Wrong, or The Eternal Return of Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Mm. And I think this is actually really interesting because, and I, I, I'm using this as a segue into the next point about how he wants to point out the Rousseau, was ultimately trying to set out a thought experiment. He wasn't trying to sit down and say, this is the way the world was. It was, hey, so let's take, for example, like Ben Shapiro, and then just moves on from there, and people are just like, oh, yeah, no, like, that that's assumed to be true. mm mm-hmm. um, Yeah. And one of the other things is he's talking about how a lot of these 1% movement forwards is kind of assuming that the movement forward includes some kind of leadership or some kind of direction of history, which is kind of, you know, I've always kind of had that issue with Marx and Hegel is that history doesn't have a direction.
1: Yeah. This is sort of uh, one of the major reasons why sort of there's a huge flaw with Marxist history. It's this idea that history is teleological uh that that there is a beginning point of history and that there is an end point of history oh marx God. obviously yeah, says yeah. that communism would be the end point of history um but this is not necessarily true we, i mean we've seen people things backslide before the fall of the soviet union is a great great example of that if we want to talk about like you know living conditions it's the premier example of our time is the fall of the soviet union and i mean we see backslides into fascism before and it kind of teaches us that even if we've reached that sort of egalitarian societal goal, it must be maintained. You cannot simply give up on it. It must be, you know, if you want to ensure that you don't backslide into uh, all kinds of crazy stuff, you have to ensure that uh, people's rights are protected, you know, people's (laughs) um, humanity is protected. And fundamentally, you just got to make sure that there are structures in place to prevent a backslide, to prevent any sort of, um, you know, fascist uprising or something like that. Like, that's just a line.
2: What was that? It's not a line. It's a bunch of wibbly wobbly timey wimey stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Weirdly enough, that just really works for that. I mean that's well, that's very true. I'm and not being I, totally serious when I said that, but it works.
0: Well, and, and, and it works, and it works really well because a lot of the a lot of lay people's understanding of history is that history progresses, and I kind of mentioned this earlier as the stages of development being a conservative holdout. What that means is they a lot of these conservative historians want to sit down and be like, "Oh, yeah, no, history." humanity evolved in a series of steps. You know, you started as hunter-gatherers, then you went into agricultural systems, then we developed city states, then we developed um larger larger nation states until and then we have nations and now we have giant mega monolithic systems of governance that just purvey all of existence. And the biggest thing that he wants to bring out is like that's not how history is.
1: Yeah, we actually that, that idea is so perverse, pervasive in the um, discussion of history that it has a name. It's called Whig history. It's this idea that you know history is like Civilization Six. You go from one thing to the next, and eventually you win by
0: mm-hmm. you know
1: I don't know colonizing an exoplanet in Civ Six. You kind yeah. of there's a there's a beginning point and there's an end point. Well, it and, actually even
0: it actually even. Per- is pervasive into how we think about the future because a lot of a lot of people, when they're looking to the, f- towards the future, they're like, "Oh, well, we need to overcome certain hurdles to become the next level of civilization." And it's like, no, not necessarily. The only reason we have those hurdles as ideations is because we still think of everything in stepwise formation. We yeah, we are- need to kind
1: of unshackle ourselves from the Whiggish history of looking at things, and that's a hard thing to do because humans are very set in their ways to try to find patterns and mm-hmm. history does not necessarily have a set pattern there's a lot of different patterns that intersect very
2: well have patterns but it sure rhymes a lot yeah
0: well and, and, like and this Christ. kind of this kind of segues into what the actual first chapter is about and it's about how this book isn't about trying to find the origin of a state or the origin of iniquity or inequality because he actually talks about quite extensively about both those things and why he is not trying to find those things. And it's kind of, it's very Graber because if you've ever read um, the history of debt or bullshit jobs or any of his other works, like he always has this, he always has this idea of, well, people are going to read my book as this and it is not that like in bullshit jobs. He's talking about, he talks about how, You know, this book is not about UBI, even though I'm sitting here talking about UBI. It's not a qualification for, well, we need to get UBI, even though I agree with UBI. You have to understand that this is me putting the evidence out there and letting it speak for itself. And I think one of the biggest things that we also need to mention is that even though he is debunking Rousseau, he is kind of utilizing Rousseau as... A jumping-off point, so to speak, for what history could have been.
1: Yeah, and he's also talking about so kind of he's kind of going in more of a Foucault direction that I kind of mentioned earlier. Uh, the basic idea is this: that in order to understand history, we must look at it through many different lenses. Then, only at that point, then we can come to a synthesis of what history might be. And that that is an idea. Um, Fundamentally founded by, it, that is the main idea behind uh, modern historical study. And, mm-hmm. of course, that was sort of invented with by Foucault, and he's kind of building on that. He's saying, this is sort of the narrative that we have come up with, because, I mean, history, in all fairness, all history is going to be about narratives. It just depends on, you're trying to make your narrative as close to reality as possible, or mm-hmm. you're trying to have your narrative under, find some underlying truth about history. And that's sort of the idea, that there is a, there is truth to be had and tr- lessons to be learned through history. And if you look at it through different ways, you can learn many, many different lessons. And that is what this book is trying to do. It is trying to amalgamate the history of the world through um, some of these lenses. And they already said that the, the two lenses that we looked at is going to be Rousseau and Hobbes. Um, he mentions, of course, Fukuyama. He mentions Pinker, and those are other lenses that you can kind of look through and find flaws in as well. Um, it's almost—it's just as important to uh, look through a lens as it is to find flaws in a lens, mm-hmm. and that is kind of what this book is is doing. And at the end of it, the, this book is basically a synthesis of all of that analysis, which is what history is.
0: Yeah, and he, he tries really hard to make sure that he doesn't cherry-pick any anthropological evidence. Like, he... he well, they... I, I, we keep saying he because we kind of put David Graeber at the forefront, but we keep forgetting how much David Redingro is actually put through. Yeah, put, David Rengro's is an
1: anthropologist.
0: Yeah, well, no. Other way around. Uh, he's an archaeologist. David Graeber is an anthropologist.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. Archaeologist, yeah, yeah. You, yeah. I, I know that he had the more um, material... Or, like archaeological evidence, I should say.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and you kind of have to remember that they are sitting here and they're trying to make note of what the evidence is as opposed to having a bias. They obviously have a bias because they both, well, at least David uh, David Graeber is very adamantly and very staunchly anarchist. But David Redengro, I as far as I'm aware, he seems to be more academic with how he's approaching everything
2: I mean, they're de- all definitely trying to avoid the bias there which is more than we can say for a lot of people
0: yeah well they, they at the very least they kind of look at their lens and they're trying to like okay where is the lens failing here and how do we update it how do we fix what we're trying to present as strictly archaeological and anthropological evidence without putting our own spin on it and i think they kind of do that very well later on in the book by um they'll offer vastly they'll offer evidence that kind of goes against what one would think their bias is,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and kind of utilize utilize that to kind of build upon this narrative of oh well the noble
2: savage doesn't actually exist yeah uh, mostly the bias at least in this chapter is just that noble savage doesn't exist which you know well, it's not
1: really a bias. They didn't go into this saying the noble savage doesn't exist. Their their whole point is that evidence says that it doesn't exist, and yeah. that's what they're saying. That's not that's not necessarily a bias. It's you know a a conclusion that you have after going into this. I mean, they could have had a hypothesis that it did or did not exist, but either way, they have the evidence to support that um, the idea of a noble savage did not exist. Of course, you can't fully prove a negative, but the historical trend does not appear to support the idea of people living in peace and harmony until civilization came. And even then the idea that um, I think a lot of times we also need to kind of put into perspective time here. Mm -hmm. When we're looking at a lot of these things and when we're talking about time scales, one of the things that bugs me the most when we're talking about these sort of things is when people say um, these uncontacted tribes are stone age cultures. No, they're not. They're modern. Yeah, um, yeah, a lot they, of them exist, are they, they do not exist outside of day. time and space. They are not a they are affected as affected by us as we are by them.
2: They mm-hmm.
1: might have isolated themselves, but they are affected by us. I mean, there is um North Sentinel Island's a great example
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: because we know that they are they have made metal tools from shipwrecks and things like that. They have made contact with people before. They know, they see ships go by, you know, um, other uncontacted tribes shoot at planes and stuff like that. They exist in the modern world. They're a little bit disconnected from it, but they are fundamentally modern. It's like saying something's a living fossil. Yeah, It it has kept evolving. They have kept evolving. They're not in this primordial form that we can kind of go and visit. You're not taking a time machine.
2: They are modern. That's the trouble. Like, one thing and this is like the only thing I've read that's actually pointed it out, but they treat other civilizations who, you know, if they don't have cars or anything of that familiar type of technology, it's like, oh, yes. This is a larval civilization.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's a Civ Six sort of thing.
2: What the fuck? No, this... People are, you know... And if you tell
1: this idea to a lot of people, I mean, it's so ingrained in us, a lot of people will look at you like you have two heads. But I mean, it's true. It's it's fundamentally historically true. Uh, I remember this is sort of like the first thing my professors taught me when we were looking at history in college. They're like, look, modernity as a concept is temporal. And, uh, you know, are these people, they ask the question, you know, are these people considered modern? And the answer was, yeah, they are considered modern because they live in the modern period. Hell, I would even say like we're living more in like the postmodern period in a certain sense.
2: Period is a, pe- historians,
1: historians love to period, period periodization but even that is a flawed thing because t- you know time doesn't have set periods there isn't like this this and that again it's not teleological it, it kind of ebbs and flows and it really oh, there's a lot of overlap and you can have no, a lot of discussion about that but periodization is important and interesting but it should not be held as law.
2: long it is mostly interesting though and it can be really tempting to do it, well, to do that just because it is, you know?
1: It's an easy way of looking at, at, at things because we like to think that we've only progressed and we haven't done anything else, but, uh, you know, who is to say that our society is better than any others? I mean, we, can, we have certain luxuries that other societies don't necessarily have, but we also have other burdens. And to yeah. kind of look at that in aggregate and also kind of, because all these things are subjective, we cannot make a true value judgment on it.
0: And the author, authors actually bring this up, and they're like, especially when they're talking about why this isn't a book about inequality. It's like, well, it's not about inequality because how do you judge inequality? I mean, you could say, well, one person doesn't have as much money as the other, but in a lot of these prehistorical societies, money wasn't even that big of a deal. And in fact, a lot of in a lot of these societies, especially, and I'm kind of I'm kind of Adding this in myself, the, these gift economies societies these gift economy societies, they only had money to show how little of it they had to show how rich they are. if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. The person who was the richest was the person who had the least because they gave the most.
1: Yeah, well, that that's the sort of that's thing that, thing, um, that. De- Graeber goes into this a lot, lot more in the debt the first 5,000 years. And I kind of saw that and I was like, oh, wait, I don't remember when he had like a whole chapter on that. Mm-hmm. And um, the whole idea is basically that debt uh, basically came before money. Uh, we have records of all kinds of things where debt was paid in sort of bushels of uh, wheat or barley in um, early civilizations. because uh I mean, at harvest time, you can only har- you know you can predict how much you want to have, and the king basically you have no use for gold after a while. You have mm-hmm. use for food, so um if you're a farmer and stuff like that, you pay your taxes in wheat because that's what you grow. You're not a, you're not a miner. You don't you know get all this. You no, are not on the backslide
2: right now. Yeah, how do? Yeah, I mean, thoroughly on the backslide, not like kind of beginning the backslide. Of, what the fuck? Um, like. You know what I mean when I say thoroughly on the backslide. Yeah, mm-hmm. like we are not just starting to. Uh, fuck well, our I shit know, up. I
1: know, I know what you, I know what you're saying, but <laughs> it's kind but of a weird place really to interject because I was talking hard. about debt for no reason. Okay, uh, uh, but yes, that that is correct. We can, fir- we can, I mean, we can firmly say we're on the backslide. But even then, the idea of a backslide probably is a bit of a problematic language because. History again is not linear. You can't go back and you can't go back, get you physically can't get bombed back to the stone age. If that if makes sense.
2: anything like it would be bombed down to something because we're talking about technological tiers, not uh, societal arrangements. Well, even
1: here. then, you, you sort of portray like your language is saying tiers. There's not necessarily tiers of technology, there's just different technology, some of which we consider more advanced.
2: Some of which we you consider know, to be more elaborated on, really.
1: Yeah, some which we consider to be more advanced. But sometimes, if it does the same thing, sometimes it's just better to have technology that we consider less advanced. It just depends. Depends well, on what your well, needs well, are. It depends on your manufacturing capabilities. It depends on your ability to upkeep technology. It depends on a lot of things. Having the most, you know, quote unquote, advanced stuff doesn't always help. The Germans learned that real quick during World War Two.
0: Well, not only not that, going. but I also think we need to detach the idea of techn- technology as something that is material because we do have social technology, we have linguistic technology, we have philosophical technology, we even have religious technology. And a lot of that stuff is going to be brought up in the later, in the later chapters,
1: mm-hmm.
0: especially considering, you know, when we're looking back, we're not trying to look at these indigenous lives and go back to that because ultimately it's not saying that this is better this is this is the way things should have been because there were there were a lot of problems with
1: and ultimately with we, we these, can't go back to that
0: mm-hmm, there were a lot of problems with these indigenous lives and ultimately at this point in our lives at least at this point in our the way society has progressed we cannot return to tradition so to speak we can't reject modernity because we are, we exist in modernity. And if you get if you want to sit here and give up your computer and fuck off into a woods, like go ahead, that does not mean you are no longer touched by modernity. That just yeah. means you are trying to LARP as a traditionalist. Yeah, we yeah. And anarcho
1: primitivism is not really
0: a, uh, a bad
2: return answer. to monkey. <laughs> yeah, right. Return to monkey. Cannot be done. I'm sorry.
0: And I, I think that kind of, because I'm trying to like not talk about a lot of what, hap- what they don't talk about in chapter one, because there's a lot of stuff in this book. Like, like, let's be completely honest. This book is 24 hours of an audiobook and like something like 670 pages, 600, mm. 650 pages of a actual text. And it is jam packed with information.
1: Yeah, it's very dense, and they do a lot of good citations as
0: well. I did not notice that, mm-hmm. and it's 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 actually very academic in how they're citing c- citing everything. Very academic. Um, one of the things that I do kind of want to bring up before we kind of wrap this up. I know we're kind of sh- we might be cutting this a little short today, but uh, the, first yeah. chapter, the first chapter was only like twenty pages long, and it's mostly about what this book isn't than what it is. Um, I do kind of want to bring up how. A lot of what they're trying to talk about is how there were individuals who existed within or were like kidnapped or were raised in indigenous cultures. And especially in like the late 1700s, early 1800s, a lot of these individuals will be brought into modernity. And they would live along, live among the the modern humans for a little bit, and they'll just be like, you know what, this just isn't for me, and they'll return to the indigenous cultures. They'll just literally walk back into the wilderness. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to bring that up because he does, and this is kind of one of my critiques about this book is even though he is trying to make this hardline argument about how we can't return to this, we can't go back, he is very much still kind of idealizing these cultures because ultimately as anarchists, you know, we're going to look back against what things would not work, what things have been in capitalism and what things have been before capitalism. And we're always going to want to return to pre-capitalism pre or pre- whatever the fuck happened in the Industrial
2: Revolution. Basically, whatever mm-hmm. isn't this looks really good.
0: Yeah. Well, necessary to
1: say that feudalism doesn't look very good. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: this is this is kind of one of my biggest critiques of the book is that he, even though he is trying to make such a huge argument against why we can't return or why this is just a anthropological setup, this is their bias. Their bias is this is better, and whether or not you agree with it is beyond the point. the The fact that I'm bringing this up is. Despite this bias, they are still completely academic in how they're bringing this about. They're letting the everyone's going to
1: have. I I do want to kind of address this. Everyone's going to obviously have biases, and I think you are right. I think part of the time that they do, while not outright, you know, saying that and being very academic and being very um, diplomatic about their use of language and careful about it, I still do think they come off as a little bit. sort of praising these cultures as somehow how better than our, uh, yeah. and than our own in, in certain ways. And I think that some of that is fair, and I think some of that is not so fair. It just really depends. And I think that, honestly, we just don't have a lot of, like you said, like the, the philo- we don't have the philosophical tools to really necessarily delve, well, we might delve into some of these things in ways that are fundamentally satisfactory. Yeah, A lot of the times we are all blinded by our biases and we are all limited by, you know, the world yeah, we live terrible. in. Yeah, we are limited by also our lived experiences and whatnot. And so, I mean, for me, how you kind of get over those biases is to have a synthesis and, you know, get as many people as you can and fish out what their common ideas are from throughout, you know, all of their experiences and that sort of synthesis from that dialectic is um should be closer
0: to the truth than you can get otherwise and that's what material conditions means is your exper- your lived experiences influence how you make decisions mhm
1: as well as the material around you
0: well that that's what your that is your lived experience are. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah 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 your lived yeah. experiences because you 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 ultimately even as mu- as much as we want as much as Anarchists want to believe that we are all radically free and we can make our own decisions ultimately, our decisions are limited by what we believe to be our
2: options what we can so is, this
1: is yeah yeah this is sort of the idea of this is why I kind of wanted to push back uh, especially nowadays like this idea that we must that class consciousness in and of itself is something that you can just kind of give to people it, I think that this sort of thing, you can certainly have, um, you know, give people ideas and, 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 and talk about the idea of class. Mm-hmm. But fundamentally, everyone at a job knows that they're kind of, most of the people, I should say, know that they're kind of being screwed over. And it's just about, you know, what there are, their ideas are to fix it or how they feel that they can react to that. And that is necessarily not, react to that. you know, you know, the class consciousness effort of that is basically to say how you can react to that is by going on strikes and doing things like that. And even in the U.S., we're seeing a huge strike wave right now. Um, and, there's, and there's a huge rise in unions and all that stuff because there was a shock to capital. The, the coronavirus pandemic really shocked everyone. And, you know, now we have an economy that is missing about a million people, if not more, because a lot of people retired early rather That's than go back to work. Yeah, definitely, definitely.
0: more. That's and definitely. we we had a couple million deaths alone. That's not including the mass exodus from the working from the working class.
2: Forget yeah, all yeah.
0: Your, so there's uh, now
1: there's now a labor shortage. So the the relationship has been changed, and people's
2: and capital's been doing everything, of, everything it could to piss off labor too.
1: Yeah, oh, yeah. So I'm saying like, that the, like 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 it, it, the, the, the the dynamic has shifted because of the fact that there are now new conditions that people people's ideas are opening up because there are new conditions. It wasn't necessarily that there was a huge strictly ideological Marxist effort to give these people class consciousness. Like the the, uh, conditions of employers had already existed like this. There was just now a new factor in it. And people felt more empowered because they realized that there were less options for the employers. The employers couldn't just fire them and hire someone else. There was no other person. That person died or is just, somehow out of the workforce
0: or is it a, in the workforce in a different manner that yeah they otherwise would not have been
2: exactly Oh, um, go on no i was thinking like the labor shortage as they call it, is really just a wage shortage and it was mm-hmm. you know a bit of a labor shortage because a bunch of people you know fucking died and a bunch of people were actually pissed off about that too mm-hmm. well and also we people, people were injured by there covid right.
1: there are people yeah. that were You know, so afraid of it. There are people that were about to retire, you know, but and would have been just replaced normally by retiring, but they retired early, so that you're missing a couple of years of you know labor, which is in a in an economy that is all about um, uh, what is it? The um ah. What, what's the what's the uh, supply chain where it's uh, just in t- oh just in time uh,
0: supplies right is that yeah, the word yeah for just in time for the healthcare
1: yeah yeah just just in time and and kind of the stuff that works on basically everything's been stripped to the bone and then everything has to be go exactly perfectly in order to have everything there because that's the cheapest way to do it and the most efficient way to do it so they want to mm-hmm. have this idea of efficiency. But when you strip everything down to the bone, that efficiency comes back to haunt you because it does not deal with shocks to the system very well. It's not robust. It is well, very weak.
0: Before we, before we go too off topic, um, thank you guys for joining us for as long as you have. We'll probably be talking for a little longer. Um, but assuming we can kind of just wind it down and kind of wrap up this first chapter, um, we kind of want to point out that, you know, if you want a copy of this book, please just you know contact us. I, I I'll be more than happy to get you a copy. Um, because wow, you're disrespecting the legacy of David Graeber for giving out things
1: for free. Shaking my head, my head.
0: I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure David Graeber gave out his own shit for free. So
1: <laughs> yeah, dead. The first five thousand <laughs> years is up on the Anarchist Library, and I'm pretty sure this book will be too soon. But I don't know what um, the other author of this book uh, thinks about that. But I'm sure that he's not. I mean, I'm sure it, that he's he, he doesn't like, he he's not gonna be too like angry. But
0: but if, but if you if you really want a copy, you know just let just let any one of the three of us know. Uh, I'll get you a copy. Um, if you want, you know, just email David Rengro. I'm pretty sure you can find his academic email somewhere on the web. Um, offer him a few words of condolences or advice or whatever the fuck you want to do. Um, <laughs> offer
1: a few words of advice. Your book shit. <laughs> <Just> stop writing. <laughs> no, no, book sucks. Like,
0: Alt F4. (laughs) I I do want to kind of point out, you know, this book is very long. Um, We'll be trying to get episodes out relatively quicker than we have been. I know this last year with the second wave of COVID was not fun. Hey, Um, now we're in the
1: third wave of COVID. I'm working at testing tents and doing all kinds of stuff. And, uh, oh, we tested like 700 people the other day. We had 500, or not 500 positive, 200 positive. So that's one.
0: well, and I actually want to just let everybody know this is my um third bout of COVID that I literally just got over two days ago. Ooh. So, yeah, um that was wonderful. But hopefully we'll be having more regular postings because we're changing up how we're editing and recording this. And hopefully it's you'll see more of us. Um, and very- we're, all,
1: I fi- we we're finally settling in- into our jobs and, you know, getting our lives back together. Yeah. We're restructuring, corporate restructuring of our livelihoods. Corporate.
0: What? Well, and and that being said, you know, please, you know, if you want to, give us some money on Patreon. It's not necessary. We'll offer everything that we give you guys. Like everything that we will produce will effectively be free at one point or another. Um I'm probably going to
1: uh release the well, I got to talk to my friend on that episode because she's actually she just came out as trans and I want to talk to her about that. Um the 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 one um watch episode we did the bonus episode. Yeah. That I well, think like, I probably will release unlock eventually.
0: Um I just also want to point out we're not trying to get rich off of this. This is something that we do in our spare time, you know, if we get money from this, great. If we don't, great. Wait, because, we're not
1: trying to get rich off of this?
2: Shit. I mean, I'm not.
1: An anarchist podcast by furries is, is right, definitely uh, the way to get rich, right?
2: All these episodes of those ugly-looking monkeys. Yeah, yeah, they're all NFTs.
1: Oh God, can we do an episode about NFTs? Can or we, really we want
2: to on NFTs. Oh, I kind of want to do a bonus that.
1: episode just on yes. the shittiness of NFTs. Now, God,
2: we need to. Um, but we, so, like, we should get like fucked up and just talk shit on NFTs.
0: I actually have some very good valid points against NFTs, but that that will be saved up for that episode. Oh, I mean,
1: yeah. Wow, we have good points. Yeah. We'll, um, we'll, we'll we'll do
0: also, that. we're also working on getting up a new website. Um that's that's on me. Sorry. Sorry, the la- the old one kind of failed. That's on me. Um and yeah, I think that's pretty much it for this first chapter. Um welcome back to the way things are. Welcome this back is,
1: to the new normal.
0: Yeah, this is going to be fun. Have fun getting COVID once a year for the rest of your life. Yeah, I mean, remember, remember
1: when they said to get your flu shot? Now you get your COVID and your flu shot. And now we I'm, get the Fauci-ouchie, and now we have fucking... Oh my god, uh, the 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 hospital I work at had fucking uh, protesters out, outside of it a couple of times, and that was annoying, that, because they were protesting um, people getting the... Um, being uh, mandated to get the vaccine.
0: Well, and don't forget don't don't forget that you know if you have COVID, stay home for five days, and if you still have symptoms, just make sure you wear a mask. If you, but go back to work, you know you Thank have to you go know. back to work. You have to go back to work, or
1: else the economy, the economy is going to fall apart. It's the econ- uh, We we must sacrifice ourselves for the economy. This is this whole, this whole thing makes me want to become a corn berserker and just like. Like, like it's, much, it's, just, it's just it's just it's just cooler to fucking sacrifice myself for the will of the dark gods than like I don't know some fucking billionaire's
0: shitty son. No, it, it's it's it's, pretty, it's so billionaires can get their sixth yacht.
1: Yeah, exactly. I I I want to slay and murder people instead of and 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 then give myself over to the ruinous powers instead of just you know slaying and murdering people. And giving myself over to uh, some fucking fat lard. I just Anyways,
0: to... oh. Right Anyways, that this has been furries get bread piller. Welcome back from the hiatus.
1: Yay! I You're
0: have back. I I am the gecko.
1: Listen to sigmarxism. I'm con.
0: And that is all you have. Bye, bitches. Excuse- Bye. See yeah. yeah.